When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm sad. We're not going to be able to watch the Sabres for five months. <sighs> so, so very sad. Taylor, of course, is saying this as the Sabres season came to an end. And boy, oh boy, Taylor, the Sabres were one goddamn win away from making the playoffs. The Sabres, of course, finished with 91 points. They finished truly above 500 as... They won their season finale against the Columbus Blue Jackets, recording 42 wins. 42, Taylor. The same amount of wins as the Florida Panthers who ended up making it. As I had said before, the Sabres were one win away this season from making the playoffs as they finished just one point back of Florida, who finished with 92 points. Several guys on this team, Taylor, ended up having career years. I believe six guys total of players who qualify as veterans ended up having career years this year in terms of their point totals. And all around, there was a lot of highs, there was a lot of lows, there was a lot of streakiness throughout the course of this season, but I think it's undeniable to say that the Sabres made a significant jump this year, finishing with above 90 points just two years after finishing in last place. So, Taylor, give me your thoughts on just, you know, wrapping up the season here and kind of a, a high-level view as at the season as a whole. Yeah, it's important to step back a little bit because, like you mentioned, there's there's some disappointment with not making the playoffs. So it's important to think about that where we were two years ago, probably about two years and a month ago, maybe two years and six weeks ago. We were still doing this podcast twice a week, and the Sabres went like seven of our podcast episodes without winning a game. Um, maybe more than that, honestly. It was bad. Probably more than that. Yeah, it was. They lost like seventeen games in a row in the middle of that abbreviated season. It was. It was so hopeless. It was the the, the drought extending. You knew Eichel wanted out. Uh, Reinhardt was not. You know, people. You know, thought like Reinhardt um, was probably gonna be gone at that time because he had signed a new contract. Taylor Hall was a huge bust. Eric Stahl sucks. Uh, things like that. Just like the whole team was like, blah. Another year of Rasmus Ristolainen. It was it was just really brutal to watch. And there was, the season ended on, I wouldn't say a high note, but the season ended better than it started, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. The, once Granado got in there, uh, they, 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 they finished the season pretty strong, which is crazy because they still only won 15 games of 56. It tells mm-hmm. you how bad they were. And look where we are two years later. You mentioned it's 91 points. It's the most points they had since last time they made the playoffs in 2011. Um they, last year, were almost 50 points behind the Florida Panthers. They finished one point behind them, I think it was, this year. Yep. It's Yeah, it's they're right there. They're on the doorstep of the playoffs. And that's with, like we're going to mention, probably, all the bad losses they had. The two really bad streaks, one in November, one in March. And, frankly, pretty bad goaltending most of the year. Yeah, the vast majority of the year. As we had talked about last episode, I believe... It was Eric Comrie and UPL accounted for 52 games this season for the Sabres, which... Oh boy, that's that's thankfully not a number we're going to have to worry about next year, as of course Devin Levi came along and really helped the Sabres go on that impressive run to end the season, winning six of eight games in April. And, uh, you know, I talked about it last episode, and I, and I think, uh, you know, there's of course no, I don't want to make this seem like participation trophy 
kind of thing. But I think that there is absolutely something to be said for this team, for the coaching staff, for, for both of them, that after that stretch, that two wins in 11 games in March, which obviously ultimately ended up just completely killing their chances at actually making the playoffs, but they could have just rolled over and quit after that, and they could have lost the steam after that and and just pretty much win like 500 the rest of the way or something like that and just kind of middled along. And, you know, we'd maybe be talking about having, you know, the ninth or 10th overall uh, possibility of having like the ninth or 10th overall selection and then their current drafts position pre lottery than the 13th but they didn't do that they really responded when their backs were against the wall and the the loss that of course ended up sealing their fate was against New Jersey which obviously is one of the best teams in the NHL this season you know you have obviously a, a superstar in Jack Hughes over there you have a potential Selkie finalist in Nico Heischer you have a potential coach of the year finalist in Lindy Ruff so obviously that's a tough one to go down but they won some pretty important games down the stretch there to keep themselves alive and I think going back to the beginning of the season, if you were to tell me that this team finished with above 90 points and was one point back of the final playoff spot, I honestly don't know if I would have believed you. I really don't. You wouldn't have believed me? I, you, good personally. Friend, Taylor. I, I don't believe you about anything that you ever <laughs> have to say, but especially that. It, it, it's remarkable to think that they really did this. And, and again, coming into this year, you know, we were talking about, well, Tage had that amazing year last year. Did he max out? You know, what's going to... Well, turns out, no. Clearly not. Uh, you know, we knew what Tuck was, but Alex Tuck really took his game to a new level. We didn't expect Jeff Skinner. I mean, he had a bounce back last year, but again, it was like, well, is this the start of the decline of his career? He ends up having the most productive year of his career. You have Dylan Cousins, who actually took the step, and maybe even and then some, from what we were hoping from him. And I think the guy that absolutely positively more than anybody else in this entire organization played his way into being on the team next year. Casey Middlestat with the the stretch run that he had. He had a, a really not great start to the year, but an incredible finish, almost hitting 60 points. I mean, that is just absolutely remarkable. He had finished with 59 points in 82 games here. He was really, he spent most of the year playing in that middle six role, mainly honestly on the third line. Then he gets his shot once Tage gets hurt playing on the top line, and he looked pretty good between Skinner and Tuck. He looked very good, actually, like more than serviceable. Like he was really solid there. Is Casey Middlestead a first line center? Obviously not, but he proved his worth here. And I think at the very least, he proved that he belongs to he belongs on this team next year, barring a, a really big trade opportunity or something like that, because he greatly increased his value, I think, with how well his season went. But I say that both trade value and value to this team moving forward. So it's an interesting spot with him, too, because he is going into the last year. Next year will be the last year of his current contract. So not really having to worry about getting an extension done or anything like that right now. And I, quite frankly, don't think that that's something that you need to worry about right now. I think that this is different from a cousin situation or a Tage situation or a Darlene situation this summer where you want to get out ahead of it and just get it done, I would much rather like to see how Casey Middlestat starts his next season and really see what kind of player we get next year before making that commitment because ultimately you made those couple of moves in, in Cousins and Thompson that were, you know, you're banking on the future. Middlestat isn't really that guy though, and I don't think that there needs to be a rush with that, but that's kind of getting ahead of us here. So you know, I, I kind of just gave a bit of a brief overview, Taylor. Can you talk a little bit, though, about some of the guys who impressed this year, some of the guys who, 
you know, maybe outside of, you know, the six who surpassed that 50 point mark this year, maybe even some of the guys, you know, throughout the roster who you were impressed with this year, but including those guys as well, though, too, some of those star players for this team and the important guys here. What were some of your main takeaways from this season? Yeah, like you mentioned, I think the six guys having their career best and so many guys like Tage and Dalian, especially getting so much attention, it's hard to highlight everyone, which kind of makes me think, uh, I've been coming around to the idea that the most underrated jump in one of the biggest and most important things for the future uh, that happened was Cousins' season. Cousins is a 30-goal scorer now. Yep. He, if you remember his first couple of years, even though he was good, he was not very productive. And him playing with these young guys, he really was the anchor of that line. And he, yeah, I mean, he's almost a point-of-game guy, not quite a point-of-game, but he's still physical, he's still good, like, in transition. And he scored 30 goals, like, that's huge. And I know it, he's not, like, some diamond in the rough. He was a top-ten pick. But I think it's pretty clear. It's getting more and more clear the Sabres made the right pick there. For sure. Against all odds, Jason Macho made the right pick. And several teams ahead of the Sabres made the wrong pick, too. That's right, Detroit. And L.A. And Chicago. Yeah. I I pointed out probably the person who is... um, The best of those three. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, whatever. Cider's fine, but come on. Yeah. You'd rather have Cousins. For sure. Uh, Yeah, so he, he... His season was, like, electric, I thought, but you just couldn't it's just not as spectacular as Tager Darlene, so it didn't get that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one I wanted to mention is Tuck, because Tuck is not just... Coming into the season, I thought Tuck is like a glue guy. He's a guy that can play on your first or second line, but he probably wouldn't be the guy on a top line. Uh, he does everything well, all that stuff. Tuck's like a star. Mm-hmm. Point of game guy, more than 30 goals. Uh, he's the most reliable, probably defensive player in the top six. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he's also the most um, malleable, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like, he just works with anyone. And he made Tage better. He's made Skinner better. And, like, his goal the other day, unbelievable. He's just so strong in the puck. So, yeah, he outscored Eichel this year. He was, he's not, I don't know if he would, you would say Tuck was the main. There was no real main center of the package in the Eichel deal. But, yeah, I I didn't think he was going to be a point of game guy and, and playing as well as he is. So those are the two guys I really wanted to highlight. You don't need me to tell you that Tage had a good year. Well, we should also talk about Skinner, I think, too, for the sake that, yeah, he had 35 goals. Amazing. But really adding a five-on-five playmaking component to his game that was not there before. We've talked at length about how good of a five-on-five player that Skinner is in terms of like shot generation and high-danger chances. We've also discussed he's got some deficiencies when it comes to his role on the power play, and I think that that's something that really needs to be revisited in the offseason. But man, 47 assists for Jeff Skinner. That is no joke. Like That's extremely impressive, and it was you would see it constantly. I think in part can be attributed to the chemistry that he has with Tuck and Tage, but you were seeing him really carve out a side of his game that we have really not seen before in his time as a Sabre and really just throughout his career in general. I mean, prior to this year, he had that, you know, he had 47 assists this year. His most assists prior to this was in his rookie season. He had 32. That's an increase of 15 assists. Wow. Which what is amazing. What his first year in Buffalo? He had 40 goals and 23 assists. Last year, he had 33 and 30. So 30 assists last year. But yeah, his, his second crazy. most ever was as a rookie. As an 18-year-old, he had 32. And now, as he's going on 30 years old, he puts up 47 and is also, for the first time in his career, above a point-per-game player. I mean, it's remarkable what he's been able to do. And I think that we it's also worth pointing out that 
a couple of things. One, I would say this year definitively, we kind of started to see last year a little bit with him being like, wow, maybe you know the contract isn't as bad. He performed up to a $9 million player this year, I would think. I, I would say pretty confidently. I mean, being above a point per game, his and it all coming really at five on five, I think that you know it, it would have... I don't know if I would have, again, like two years ago when they finished in last place, if you would have told me that two years from now, we'd be like, yeah, Skinner is worth the money. I do not think I would have believed that statement when it was said at that point. I would have thought that he would have been able to bounce back, but it bounced back to a degree... Of similar to like a Pozo, where it's like two years ago or and in, into in last year, uh, is this guy worth six million dollars? No, probably not, but he's not you're, you're not sunk by this contract, it's not killing you. And now I'm not sitting here and saying that nine million for Jeff Skinner at 30 years old is a bargain or anything like that, but it's really not a tough pill to swallow anymore, like it's worth it, and I think. Coinciding with that is the fact that Skinner plays a style that I think is going to age gracefully as he continues through these next four years of his contract. And so, got to give props to him. I think, you know, it's clearly not him being reliant on Tuck or being reliant on Tage because he's shown he can play with Middlestad as his center. He's shown that he could play with Cousins a bit too in limited minutes, obviously. So, really, really exciting year for Jeff Skinner. Let's get into some of the guys outside oh, of this. I just want to say about Skinner. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Anti-credit okay. to Ralph Kruger. Yeah. Because the rest of his career, Skinner, uh, he was up and down goals-wise in Carolina. But, you know, at, at his best, he was great. He's a great goal scorer. One of the best five-on-five scorers in the league. And he played this certain style. that worked his first year in Buffalo, too. Uh, he had 40 goals playing under Housley. And Kruger, like, looked at him as someone who he's been a good scorer, not a good defender his whole career, and was like... We need this guy to play within this very specific system. Skinner is like a little, like, he's like a, a little goblin that thrives on chaos. Like, when you watch him, like, there's a, first of all, there's a reason other teams get so pissed off at him. But he also, like, I don't know, look at his goals. They're not structured plays. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, he, he really, that's why he can be so deadly around the net, because he really thrives he's on... He's a free-flowing kind of player. Yeah, and that's honestly what makes him probably not a great power play player, too. Mm-hmm. Like, power plays have to be structured by their nature, and why he can sometimes be, in overtime, he's hit or miss. Because sometimes overtime is, hey, you playing your three-on-three style. Is it working? And sometimes overtime is just insane. And that's when mm-hmm. he, he kind of thrives in overtime. But he's, yeah, it's, of course he was going to be, like, maybe not this good. But of course he was going to be, like, good if you just let him do what he always did. Right. I, I don't, how valuable could he have possibly have been as, like, playing in that system? Like, what did Ralph Kruger think was going to happen? So I don't. And, and a very fourth bold line take that Ralph Kruger's a moron. Well, a moron, and it was clearly had to be something personal with it too. I, I mean, you don't just like bury a career thirty goal scorer on the fourth line just because, and especially when you're walking into a situation where the guy scored forty goals, yeah, right before you showed up. And it's funny to think too about Kruger because thinking back, I mean, to his eventual last season in Buffalo, that team, in hindsight, it's horrible that they were the the worst team in the league you had obviously Skinner that he was misusing but you also have Taylor Hall Jack Sam Reinhart you had a young Dylan Cousins you had Olafson you and the back end I mean Brandon Montour I think is another example of a guy who yeah just absolutely fire Ralph Kruger into the sun because can you imagine having the Florida Panthers current version of Brandon Montour in this Sabres defensive system with Granado at the helm can you imagine that top four, a Samuelson, Darlene, 
Power and Montour kind of top four. Wow. That would be insane. I mean, Montour is like a legitimate number two option now in Florida for a playoff team. Didn't he? I think he hit 60 points this year. Like, did he lead them in scoring? Come I think on. they're, I think they're getting scores are him and Reinhardt, which is, yeah. It's, I'm going to double check that, but yeah, it's, it's somewhere up there. But yeah, that's, that's another good example. And obviously, Darlene was there too. Yeah, that, that team being the worst team in the league. I think someone pointed that out on Twitter today. It's ridiculous, but on the other hand, Hall was not good at all, and Eichel was playing injured for a lot of the year. So you do you did lose two of those guys like almost right away. Their third line center was Cody Eakin. Their second line center was Stahl, who was yeah. awful. I can't believe he's still in the but league. But that's the thing is that their second line center was Stahl, third line center was Eakin, but you were playing Cousins on the wing at that point. You had Skinner's on the four, Skinner on the fourth line. So again, like I'm not saying that that's like a, a world beater yeah. kind of team, but that's a team that could have been a lot better than last place. Was also, it Skinner, Gergensen's, and Reeder on the fourth line? I sadly think that's correct that's ridiculous. so you did something just now that i did in our last quiz and forgot about a, a young fella named matthew kachuk for the <laughs> panthers yeah <laughs> okay that's right they got that 100 points yeah 109 points in 79 games followed by barkov 78 points in 68 games carter verhage 73 points in 81 games brandon montour 80 games played 73 points for Brandon Montour. And then Sam Reinhardt rounded out the top five with 67 points in 82 games. So another great year from Reinhardt as well. Montour was getting top-line minutes, though. 24 minutes a night for Brandon Montour. And of that 73 points that he had, 33 were on the power play. Yeah. I mean, I guess that wouldn't really come in handy for the Sabres as much just because they have two really good power play uh, defenseman. They do, but well, I mean, just I mean, more the fact that he was able to do that. And also, for what it's worth, I mean, he missed parts of the year, but Aaron Ekblad, when he was healthy, was operating as the power play one quarterback, too. That's right, yeah. So Is that guy ever going to play a full season again, uh, you think? God, I really don't know, nor do I think so. Yeah, I mean, he played 71 games this year, but it feels like he played so few, so much fewer. Yeah, Montour led the Panthers in ice time this year. That is wild. Well, Montour is an interesting one. I think it's different than Skinner because we saw so little of him. Right. He was the Phil Halsey's last year. Uh, they traded for him at the deadline. I believe they traded a first for him that they got from yep. the, the Evander Kane trade. Yep. And he was like, I don't know. I, I, he was fine to close out the year. It's 10 games, the end of a, a failed season that no one liked. So yeah. I don't think he made a big impression. And then, you know, Kruger shows up the next year and they totally misuse him, which everyone said. But I was also like, I don't really remember him in Anaheim that well. So I had no real reason to think he was this good. But you know who should have known that? The NHL coach who was watching the <laughs> practice every day. Unbelievable. This, huh. guy, this guy's insane. It's crazy. He coached in this this little mini era that had Ron Rolston, Ted Nolan, uh, Bielsman was fine, and Housley. I remember when we had Housley, I was like, is this guy worse than Ted Nolan? And then th- the next coach was somehow worse. It's insane. He stands out so clearly as the worst coach. Those are probably the four worst coaches in Can Sabres history. Can you believe... That there is a real conversation to be had about whether you would want to have Ralph Kruger or Ted Nolan as your head coach. I think I'd rather have Nolan. He didn't I think piss I people would off too. as much. I mean, he pissed off Hashik the first time around. Well, but, that's a little different, though. Yeah, but, I mean... Just I keep people, the wives out of it. Yeah, I think people liked <laughs> Nolan on the team, generally. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. He seems like a good guy, but, you who know... Who the hell could have liked Kruger? I mean, I think it's also... You know who liked him? Similarly unlikable guy. Actually, yeah, Taylor Hall. I was going to say, you know, Taylor Hall, yes, but also Jack. Yeah, Jack, Jack, Jack liked, liked him, him a lot, you're right. Well, I, I think it's also interesting to think about what the dynamic between him and Granado must have been, because Granado so is the weird. antithesis of him. Anyways, yeah, thank though, God Ralph Kruger hired 
Granado is yeah, assistant. Yeah, 100%. Let's get into some of the other guys, though, down the lineup here. We talked about, obviously, the, the top six scorers this year, but there were some other guys who also had really strong years this year. Mainly, let's let's turn this conversation over to the young guys now. Owen Power, very likely to finish in the top three in Calder voting. Probably not going to win. It seems like it's Matty Beniers is to lose now at this point. But a hell of a rookie season for him where he looked really strong. He ended up finishing with 35 points this year, which is great. I think that that's, again, like the offensive side of his game is something that's going to get flushed out as he continues to mature, continues to get acclimated to the NHL level. But again, there was so many points throughout this season, like countless points throughout this year, where power would just make these plays that were that of a a savvy, like eight-year veteran in the league, like a a star player kind of play. And he just has that it factor to him where... He just has, uh, you know, there's obviously times where, of course, he looked like a rookie this year, but I would say it was far more often than not that he looked like he was a established NHL defenseman on this team. Additionally, Jack Quinn obviously had a, a really great year when it came to just his overall development and growth. He finished with 37 points this year, 14 goals and 23 assists in 75 games. He, of course, had a little bit of a stretch. Uh, a couple months back where he had to take a couple games in the press box just due to him slumping a little bit. Again, I think that can maybe be attributed to something we talked about a bit with some of these young guys where it's just the the pressure and the the length of an NHL schedule kind of catching up to them and really not experiencing that many games before. But I thought Quinn finished the year really strong, and I think it's a similar thing to Cousins from the last couple of years where your first couple of years starting off, you're not necessarily looking for that immediate eye-popping production but you're looking to see the pieces come together. You're looking to see what the full toolkit is and how he's able to utilize it and then how he's able to add to it as the year has gone on. And that has, I think, really been the case for Jack Quinn. He has just impressed me so much when thinking back to some of his earlier games this year, when he was still looking really good, obviously. But just, we've been talking about a lot, the confidence that he plays with, the offensive creativity is is off the charts, and you're starting to see him, again, those two things coming together, where it's the, the creativity and the confidence, and I think next year is going to be really exciting, and this offseason for him is going to be huge, because I want to see how those two things are really going to connect, and in addition to that, too, I, I love the fact that he's starting to develop a little bit of like that kind of Jeff Skinner streak in him, where he's a little bit chippy, he's talking some shit a little bit, he's getting mixed up, he's when there's scrums going on, you see him in there. And that you weren't seeing that from him in the beginning of the year, like at all. It was almost like he was kind of avoiding it. But then as the year gone, really over the past month or month and a half, which again, if that coincides with the stakes getting a little bit higher, I love that in one of these young guys. And the final thing I will say on Jack Quinn is, again, I, I really truly feel this way that when the confidence and the creativity come together, we could be looking at a perennial 35 to 40 goal scorer, maybe in the vein of like an Adrian Kempe a little bit. Um, that kind of guy, yeah. which would be great. If Jack Quinn turns into Adrian yeah. Kempe, that would be amazing. This is a good example of scoring this year, which by the way, I want to have some stats on Thursday yeah. about scoring being so high this year, not just for the Sabres, but for everyone. Kempe had 40 goals this year. Yeah. I think he's the first guy to have 40 as a king in... I think more than 20 years. I saw the stat. And it Buddy, he, away. I'm pretty sure, had 40 last year, too. Oh, really? Yeah. I man. think it's something like he he's the highest 
single season guy since Gretzky, maybe? Let's see. Did Kempe ended up finishing with 41 goals in 82 games this year. And last season, he had 35, actually. So he had 35 goals last year. So, again, if that's what Jack Quinn can end up... And, and I'll say this, too. I think Jack Quinn also... I mean, Kempe had 26 assists this year. He had 19 last year. Obviously, that doesn't tell the whole story of his game or anything like that. But I really like Jack Quinn's playmaking ability as well. Yeah. I think that definitely ties into the offensive creativity because Quinn, I think, is going to be a guy... And I think this is kind of similar to Kempe too, where one of the things that I really like about him with watching him is his off puck positioning. And I think that was something that really got better as the year went on. I think it was one of his huge strengths in Rochester last year. And I I really thought I saw that grow a lot as the year went on. So if he's able to continue to hone that while also zeroing in a little bit more on some of his playmaking ability there, I mean, again, like that's a really, really nice piece to have in the system. And in my mind, Quinn established himself as a, and not that this was something that we were thinking about really much anyways to begin with, but like he is an uh, like a untouchable core piece of this team moving forward with how good he looked this year. Yeah, definitely. He definitely also has good chemistry, which will help with the playmaking, but good chemistry with Paterka, kind of Krebs too, mm-hmm. Cousins. like Tage even he looked good with yeah, too yeah, while definitely. Tuck was out. Yeah, that, that that's honestly a good comparison with hopefully more assists like you said. Uh, but yeah, honestly, a very, very positive uh, rookie year for him. And he's another guy who like, like, hey, two years ago, remember this? Like, we were pretty down on him. A lot of people were. I but thought it was a colossal mistake, that pick. I, a lot of people did. Yeah. yeah, and he's just got consistently gotten better, like, every year. It's like, he's just gone from, like, he could barely play in the AHL because the season was all weird, but he wasn't good when they did play, to he was, like, an incredible player last year in the AHL, too. A good um, middle six rookie rookie in the NHL. Very quickly. Great, he was a top ten pick, but still. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about a couple of the other young guys you mentioned there. In J.J. Paterka and Peyton Krebs, both of which had their up and down moments throughout the year. And I think had a bit of different paths, though. With Paterka, of course, had a really strong start to the year. The kid line looked great. He, like you mentioned, the, the chemistry with, with Quinn and Cousins was was excellent. He had his struggles too, though. I think his were to a bit of a, a greater extent than Quinn, uh, just in terms of, again, that kind of middle of the season and just really not looking like he was with it or maybe he's tired from, again, like the, the rigorous travel schedule and just getting accustomed to that because it, it absolutely is a thing and it's not something you can hold against a guy when it's their first time getting like used to that kind of a travel regimen. But I yeah, thought what, what that did he play in last year? He was oh, in he was the in the A. a last yeah, he was year. in the That's A last right. year. Yeah, and then Krebs. Additionally, uh, I thought he he was maybe the most not surprising because Casey I think was the most surprising this year. But Krebs was probably second in terms of the most surprising in terms of him being able to round out the defensive side of his game. Now, obviously, some of that's attributed to him playing with defense defense first players in Gergensen's and Opozo, but. I really liked his game, and I liked how he rounded it out. And I think my big thing with Krabs going into next year is that you cannot have him in a fourth-line role. I think that you need to get him with some goal scorers, at least a goal scorer, so that he's able to utilize some of his his speed, some of his, you know, his skating ability, his playmaking. I mean, again, we, we talked about it several times throughout the year. He had, like, Reinhardt-esque assists where it's like he has eyes in the back of his head 
And again, you can't say enough about the fact that this is a guy that was a pure skill player and one of the big knocks on him from when he was coming out of the draft into him being a prospect of Vegas into his time beginning with Buffalo was that he really did not have any kind of a physical side to his game. And I think he changed the perception of that greatly this year, especially when you look at his how strong he was on the boards. I mean, I was so impressed because either way, like strength is one thing, but like he's a small guy at the end of the day and he was so good in puck battles on the boards in the offensive zone and being able to make something out of nothing there. So what are your thoughts on on Paterka and Krebs Taylor? They both finished the season stronger than they started it. And well, more specifically to Paterka, finished the season stronger than he was in the middle. He was like pretty consistent scorer in the last few weeks of the season. Like it felt like he was really finding his offensive game. And like I said, he's a good good to pair with Quinn, I think it's also remember it's worth remembering that he's not like Quinn or Cousins or Middlestead. He wasn't a top ten pick. Yep. He's a second round guy, so he's another guy that in less than three years has really come a, a long way. And that's again with a year that's kind of destroyed by COVID. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think I see Paterka and, and Krebs both. I guess Paterka is more of a middle six quote unquote guy. Yeah. But yeah, Krebs it's important, and you have to remember that not every prospect is gonna, and not every good NHL player is gonna just be a guy that scores forty goals. Like Krebs is gonna be uh, an ideal bottom six guy. It right. seems like that's 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 the big thing. And there's this has been a thing people have talked about multiple times. But basically, every NHL player, forwards especially, were huge goal scorers wherever they started. They were you know let's say they were I don't know when they played Bantam or whatever they call that in Canada. Yeah. Or the whatever they get through juniors. Like there's very few guys who aren't like great scorers that are forwards that get drafted. But then you get to the NHL, not everyone can be a great scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you, you have to kind of uh, adapt your game. And so, I think sometimes guys just can't do that. They think like, no, I'm going to score 40 here too, and that never works out. I think a good example is actually Curtis Lazar, mm-hmm. former Sabre. He was a pretty big draft pick, wasn't he? He was a big prospect. With he was a first-rounder, yeah. And then he came to the NHL. He was good for like half a year, and then really fell off. And I think he probably hit a ceiling physically, and then just totally reinvented himself. And it's like, well, he'll probably be around for a good while as like yeah. a, a bottom six guy. Um, I think Matt Collins is another good example. Yeah, like he did that mid career. So like guys like uh, Krebs are valuable. It's also like let's be honest. As much as I like the Sabers this year, their forwards are not good in their own zone. Mm-mm. I mean, that's probably a little bit of youth, but like Krebs doing it, uh, be- Krebs being as defensively responsible as he was, huge revelation. And, you know, he's a good locker room guy. Like, he's tough and scrappy. Like, as much as I don't think you need fighters anymore in the NHL, you do need someone, you know, who will stand up for their teammates and be, you know, hard to play against. Uh, and then Paterka, I guess I would also, what I would say with him is, he's almost more valuable because how well Quinn plays with him. Mm-hmm. So, bo- both uh, good uh, report cards for them, too. Yeah, honestly, absolutely. So, let's round out the forwards here. Uh, we'll make this one brief. Has Victor Olsen played his last game in a Sabres uniform? Yes, uh, I, I appreciate that he gave us one last gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone should pick that up next year, ideally someone who scores a lot <laughs> as their goal song. It would be nice, it would be nice. It'll be interesting to see what Olofsson ends up going for in a trade because I don't think there's any way that he's going to be on this team next year, especially when you have the possibility of Coolidge and Savoy knocking on the door with limited forward spots as it is. We'll get to that more once we get more into the off season. But the last thing I want to talk about within the forwards is 28 and 21. Zembis, Gergensens, and Kyle Opozo. So both of them had pretty predictable years when it came to production and impact and everything like that. You knew what you were going to get with Zemgis, where you are going to get that quality defensive play, being able to go out there in some tough matchups and just being able to hold it down, good penalty killer. He was all of those things and more. Opozo, the big question with him, 
his contract is now up. $6 million is going to be coming off the books. Will he retire? Won't he retire? He said in his exit interview that he is not going to play anywhere else aside from Buffalo if he decides to come back. You got to think, just as a courtesy, the Sabres maybe say, hey, you have a one-year deal waiting for you if you want it, and if you don't, you got a job waiting for you. But what are your thoughts on both of those guys, and do you think neither, both, or one of them should be back with the team next year? Well, definitely at least one of them. It seems like some people, media types and people around the team, seem to think that they're both coming back, or the Sabres would like to have both of them back. That's kind of tough. Uh, because it's just, like we've mentioned a million times, the Sabres have so many forwards. Yeah. Uh, but they also don't have that many defensive forwards. Uh, Oposo definitely, I would say, slowed down this year, especially compared to last year. Mm-hmm. And it's no surprise, he's a, he's an older fella. He's getting up there, what's he, 34, 35 mm-hmm. years old now? I, as much as I want him to play a playoff game as a Sabre and want him around, if I had to pick, I would pick Gergensen's. Gergensen's is probably better as a defensive forward, not as productive, but... He's 28, I believe, 28 mm-hmm. or 29. Like, he'll be back. How about Opozo coaches a playoff game as an assistant on Granado's staff? Yeah, he's a guy I want in the organization, definitely. For sure. So he could, I mean, I don't know if he'd start in Rochester or whatever, but yeah, I, I'd like him to be around for sure. So, speaking of which, actually, too, to actually round out the forwards, because as we're talking about limited space in the bottom six, there's two guys that really come into that equation who were acquisitions this year, and I think you and I have uh, the same opinion on these guys, but the opinions on each of them are very different. And Tyson Jost and Jordan Greenway. Tyson Jost, I I know there was some worry with him down the stretch, with him getting sat for a couple of games, again, just with like that forward rotation, if he was going to want to stick around, the Sabres hold his RFA rights. And he said as well in his exit interview that he wants to be in Buffalo. He doesn't want to play anywhere else. He wants to be here if they'll have him back. And Jost, to me, is the perfect fourth-line center for this team next year because he fills the role of being able to be a good defensive forward. He's shown that he can elevate guys who maybe aren't the best defensive players and still be able to kind of make up for that a little bit. But he's also shown that he can, if you need him to move up the lineup, he can do so serviceably. Greenway, on the other hand, it's tough because I think we're kind of resigned to having him at this point. You know, you make the, you trade a second round pick for him. He's a guy that Granado wanted, and I don't think that they're going to, you know, just punt on it right now. I think investing a second round pick in him pretty much guarantees that he's going to be here next year. I don't really care about the fact that it's a second round pick, like obviously whatever, but we've talked at length about the fact that like they're not going to be able to sign all of these picks that they've accumulated this upcoming draft and the past two drafts as well. It's also going to be like the 60th pick. Right, exactly. Like Vegas is good this year. Yeah, so... Number one in the West. Exactly. So when it comes down to it, I mean, you have something invested in this guy. We'll call it like an early third, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it just, where does he really fit in the mix? Because assuming that your fourth line is already going to be Jost and one of Opozo or Gergensen's, I mean, you also are going to have to consider like Lucas Rusek or Brandon Byro or like some of these Rochester guys, Linus Weisbach, if, they, if any of those guys end up trying to push for a spot next year, like... Do you end up going that route? And is there a or scenario? Rosa, honestly. Or Isaac Rosina. Maybe you look to him to fill the Olsen void, but maybe that's actually more like, I think that's probably more likely Coolidge. But Rosina is absolutely a possibility. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess what's your, your thoughts on both of them? You know, Jost, are you in agreement that it's a must to bring him back as your fourth line center next year? 
Uh, not must, but like I'd like him back. Well, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I would say with Greenway, by the way, I am genuinely interested to see what a full off season with Granado does for him. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, Joe's. Yeah, I would, I'd like to have him back. I think he's good two way guy. He's got a good pedigree. Who's drafted what tenth overall? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely interested in him, and he he's played well enough here to earn that, and he's young still. Greenway, yeah, pretty much what I said. I, I'm not thrilled with how he's looked. He scored more here than he did in Minnesota, but uh, he clearly fell out of favor there with Everson. But and he, he, there hasn't been any problems here. I'm sure he gets along with Granado. But you know, let's see, let's see, bud. Yeah, like that. It's kind of a prove it year for him, right? Next no, year. completely agree. Yeah, it absolutely is. So before we get to anything else, do we want to hear words from our sponsors? I actually would love nothing more than that. We, we spent some time with and at our sponsor last night, as a matter of fact. That's true. We were at DraftKings headquarters. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy in there. You guys got to check it out. That was okay. Our first, our first sponsor here is DraftKings. Uh, and folks, you might know this. It's the NBA playoffs. Uh, Brandon's team won yesterday. My new adopted team, the mm. Knicks won since the Bulls got eliminated on Friday. Hoops fans. Yeah, I just want to be disappointed, so I'm going to be a Knicks guy for the playoffs. All right, so NBA playoffs time. That means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on the excitement of every game with a touch of a button. New customers can make a $5 pregame money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Plus, everyone can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game that doesn't hit. You'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Uh, one of my friends uh, took my advice on the Heat um, Friday and won the parlay. Hey. Jimmy Butler over 30, and the, they did beat the Bulls. Uh, very close at the end, but yikes, that was... <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of painful. More painful than I thought it was going to yeah. be. Uh, but, yeah, so my thought this time uh, for a same-game parlay is I think you, I think we do the same thing with Boston. I know, like, a two-seed is always going to be heavily favored in the playoffs over a seven-seed. But in particular, I think these Hawks are, especially considering their talent, a pretty fraudulent mm. uh, organization. Not, I'm not impressed by them at all. So I think you pick Boston – uh, game three in Atlanta, I think Boston's going to win that. You pick a bet money line, but I'm going to have Brendan decide who, what player, uh, bet you want to be part of that parlay for Boston. Yeah. Just like anything. Yeah. Let's what, do what you parlay it with. Um, why don't we do like, let's get wild. Could you do steals? Yeah. Maybe like. Whatever the over is for steals for Marcus Smart. Sure. Like three All right. steals, maybe? Over steals for Smart and Moneyline. Uh, I don't like the Celtics, obviously, but this is I think this is really should be a sweep for them. Absolutely Do sure. not. No respect for Trey Young. No, I'm just kidding. I like, whatever. Trey Young's fine. But not, not a huge fan of this team. Anyway, download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit in the gambling helpline, ma.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, uh, 21 or over in most eligible states, but that'll vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. And folks, 
like Brendan mentioned, our other sponsors, Thin Man Brewery. I was at both both the Thin Men last night. Mm. Uh, saw Brendan play at Chandler and then went to Elmwood briefly uh, before heading out to, to see a uh, very talented uh, Thin Man Elmwood GM, Cam. Mm. Cam, uh, it turns out, is a DJ. Killing it behind the turntables. Yeah, so I saw him last night. Uh, I was out very late. I'm not feeling great today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like... Thin Man's always got a lot going on. Here's uh, something you can look at. They have a, a brunch club for 2023. So three brunches. One of the brunches was today, but basically what they're saying is once a month going forward, uh, they're launching a brunch series with Be Kind City, which is a clothing and lifestyle brand, I understand. Uh, there's going to be music, uh, food, beer, cocktails, you know, all the classic brunch stuff. Uh, and the more you go to, the more you get, so you can get uh, free merch from Be Kind, such as uh, a beanie, a branded Palo Santo kit. I don't know what that is, but that sounds expensive. So <laughs> you also get a, a a t-shirt, windbreaker. So, you know, if you're into that, try that out. Uh, also, they have a uh, 420-themed beer coming out called Blazed and Confused. Uh, mm. So that should be interesting. That'll be, that's coming up. So check Thursday. that out. At the, you know, at both, it's available at both the Elmwood and Chandler locations. And, you know, of course, like we mentioned, they have a re- still relatively new menu and uh, cocktails. If you want to check that out. And I completely forgot until last night that they have Tapo Pizza at the Chandler location. I always forget that. Yeah, it's so... They sure do. Yeah, check that out if you want. Uh, anything else you want to add? I mean, besides our trivia is coming up a week from today. Yeah. April 24th, going to be a great time. That's really the the big one. I mean, we're going to have the the big beer announcement coming soon, so make sure you're keeping your eyes peeled for that one. But that's about it on Thin Man. They're just great people, great times. Can't can't go wrong anytime hanging out at Thin Man. Do you that's have any right. last thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Thin great. Man Brewery. Folks, check it out. All right, let's talk about some defense now, Taylor. So as we had mentioned before, of course, Rasmus Dahlin had his career year. We talked a little bit about Owen Power there, but let's talk about Matias Samuelson for a minute because we ended up finding out he was dealing with multiple injuries, including playing with a broken hand. Yeah. And again, it was a noticeable difference when the Sabres would have Samuelson in the lineup versus not. We had talked at length this season, everybody had, about the difference in record when they have him and what really he does to the defense, what he helps Darlene become. So Samuelson... Ended up only playing 55 games this year, which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, for him being such an important piece to this team. So, Taylor, give me your thoughts on Samuelson and just, again, like his importance to the team and really how you see him continuing to evolve moving into next season. Uh, He's on his Greg Jennings vibes, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I think he basically is just going to have the same role, hopefully being more healthy. Right. Like, I see him playing with Darlene. Uh, He's like... Well, not that Dowling's bad defensively, but, you know, he takes a lot of risks offensively, so he kind of needs a guy that stays home and is good in his own zone, and I think Samuelson's been excellent with that. Pretty cool that he was playing with a broken hand. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. Uh, I guess he really wanted to make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, he's he's been really, really nice surprise. Another guy we weren't thrilled with a couple years ago, I would say. Not not thrilled with. But like, the draft pick originally didn't seem like it made sense because it felt like they were just taking a maybe high floor player with a very limited yeah, ceiling. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just, you know... People compared him to Ryan Johnson, who is still not here. Right. What's what's going on there? He's not signing. It's my no, opinion. you don't think I mean, so? No, he, he, well, I don't even know what his incentive is at this point. He didn't burn the year of his ELC. 
Uh, this guy just really he just really likes college, I guess. He just loves it. It's been pointed out that due to COVID, he can actually go back for one more year, but the Sabres will not retain his rights. Mm, which would be an, a unique situation. But yeah, I think he's I mean, I, I there's got to be some kind of hang up. I, I apparently might have to do with whether he starts in Rochester or not. I don't think I have to care that much. He's not it's he's not the kind of guy that it's like, "Oh, we we really got to get this done." Like well, Levi, right. He's I think whatever. He's he's not any kind of he didn't like blow away the college hockey world, and he's been there for four years. Mm-hmm. So, come or don't come, but I'm not. I don't really care that much. It's good they don't have much defensive depth, so I would take it. But and if he doesn't sign, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they get a compensatory pick at the end of the second round next year, sure, in 2024. If he doesn't sign, so just for clarification's sake, if you were wondering about that, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I mentioned it before with Victor Olafson. Him hopefully playing his last game in a Sabres uniform. I think the same could, should be said for Henry Yokiharu. Just a brutal, brutal season here where, he, he, you know, there's been so many guys that have flourished under Granado who have stepped up. You would think that Yokiharu would be the kind of guy that would also fit into that mold, but he just hasn't. And... I don't know if you're looking at anything better than a third-pairing guy there, but what I do think you may have is a guy that maybe another team's GM will overvalue a little bit. I mean, he played over 20 minutes a night for them, over 21 minutes a night for them this year, I should say. He's a first-round pick, and we've talked before about, of course, the, the pedigree that comes with that. He is only 23 years old, so obviously he's still young, but... Oh, God, it, it just, the mistakes were glaring, the mental lapses were glaring, the lack of, this is probably taking it a two, like a, a step too far, but like just feeling as though he did not have any grasp of like the defensive coverages or, or, or system out there. I mean, he looked lost in his own zone, he would turn the puck over, it was, it was a rough year for him, and again, I think as we're talking about this Sabres team, turning a corner and really taking this next step because again after finishing the year like this there is no shadow of a doubt that playoffs is the expectation next year and part of me honestly thinks that maybe it's gonna light a fire under Adams a little bit more to not be so reliant on development and just keeping things in-house but Yoki Haru does not feel like he has a spot on this team next year because where does he really fit you know you're you're thinking your bottom pair is probably going to be if we had to guess right now Obviously, not knowing what free agency or any trades are going to look like, you have Stillman and Labushkin there. You still are going to have Bryson under contract. You're going to 100% unequivocally need to upgrade the top four and get power a good partner, and that is not Yoki Haru. So I, I'm just kind of stuck asking myself, like, where does he fit? Because as we're talking about guys that probably played their way into a roster spot next year, I was very critical of the trade still am like I don't particularly like feel as though I'm like all on board with it even though he has looked good with them but I think Stillman being objective about it has played his way into being on a, being on the roster next year so where does Yoki Haru fit uh hopefully in a a car on his way to Rochester that's good. oh my god I don't know I mean I, I look at it this way I don't think Rochester. it's much Yoki Haru as one of Yoki Haru and Bryson has to go. You can't bring them both back. So you mentioned you're going to have, let's say, Dalian and Samuelson, hopefully your first pair. 
power and I would say Damon Severson, Severson, baby. Yeah. Oh my God. That's your second pair. Did you see Micah's heat maps of him that he posted today? No. Holy Jesus. All right. I'm going to, Taylor, keep talking. I'm going to get this reaction. You will hear when Taylor swears or something in a few minutes. Uh, but go ahead. Oh, okay. So, okay. So you're going to have that as your second pair. And then you mentioned Stillman. And I think part of the reason he's played well is because he's good chemistry with Labushkin. I think those guys fit well together. So that's your six. One of those guys is going to be your seven. And one of them has to go. Like you can't carry eight defensemen. And neither of those guys has really earned their spot. So to me, it's kind of just equal. Get rid of one of them. I don't care who it is. But like, I understand you're not going to probably get rid of two guys that are under contract. But that, yeah, that's basically the long mm-hmm. and short of it for me. Like, yeah, it's been a really disappointing year from both of them. Bryson, I don't know. I Sometimes with him, it just, I don't know if it's a lack of confidence. But yeah, it's, it's kind of the same. Like, okay, I'm, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> G. Willikers. <laughs> that's incredible. Look at that. That's incredible. So he's really good at offense and, and good at defense. Very good too. at defense. Too. Yep, he is. Folks, good at let's both. get him. The way that uh, Micah had ended up putting this was a tweet from for anybody who wants to go back and find the the his isolated impact. It was from ten thirty nine p.m. on April fifteenth. But the way that Micah described it, for those of you who haven't seen, it, is that he's extremely strong impact on his team's five-on-five offense. He's useful defensively at five-on-five and on the PK, and he's above average in front of the goal in two different ways. I mean, it is. It, he's got to be the guy. I, I want Get them. I want them to overspend on him. Like, do it. Someone's gonna have to do it. And if there's, I'm generally speaking, I know most. I would say sane hockey fans are against overspending in free agency because a lot of times it doesn't work out well. This uh, sometimes is a, it does. Sometimes it does, and I think this is a, a time when it will. He's 28 years old right now. Next year will be his age 29 season. You give him four years and then... I don't know. Six? I was going to say 425. Okay, so I'm a little bit more than you. I'm a little bit more. No, you're a little bit less. What? You said six a year? Yeah. Four years? It's 24. Oh, I thought you were saying like 4.25. Oh, no, no, no. Per year. Yeah, no, no. Four, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, four, my bad. 25 over four years. Yeah, okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I, I I did not realize his impact was really good, but he always looks good. It makes sense. Is New Jersey really going to let him go, though? I mean, I guess they kind of are up against the cap wise. They're up against the cap, and like again, like that's another scenario where like they have a lot of guys there, like and they just brought Luke Hughes into the mix. Obviously, their first pair is like untouchable for them right now. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's it's fair to wonder, and also just for the sake of it, too, for reference, Severson is currently making per year. I think he's what is it like four five four point one six. On his current contract right now. So he'll be getting a nice raise. By the way, did you see Lukuz's first goal was assisted by Jack? Was it really? Yeah, it was an overtime goal. It was a, I saw the goal. I didn't realize Jack had the assist on it. Yeah, it, I, someone said, I think it was ESPN, because I got the notification that was like a storybook ending. It was like, that would be like the worst story of all time. What do you mean? If I just wrote a book and it ended with, this guy got uh, his brother uh, <laughs> assisted on a goal. What kind of book would that be? <laughs> It just ends like one random game, not even the playoffs. Okay, that's fair. That's this is fair. a really stupid book. But yeah, okay, so there. yeah, I didn't even think about Hughes, but Hamilton is obviously getting paid quite a bit uh, of money from them. Jack Hughes is superstar money. He sure gets paid. So yeah, you're right. They're going to 
Timo Meyer. I mean, Seager Halter too on their top pair. Uh, I mean, Timo Meyer. They also yeah they have Timo Meyer uh, on their defense. Also they have Ryan Graves like. Mm, yeah, John Marino. They just they acquired two, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know. I mean, is are they going to be able to keep him around? It's a fair question. But if they aren't, the Sabers, man, that's got to be their guy. I, I I know there's other guys out there, but I feel like I'm just talking myself more and more into wanting it to be Severson. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's probably the best option. Yeah. Guys that are realistically going to be available. So fun. Fun we want, stuff. We want to play net with Levi. Oh, that's a great question. Not anybody that's in the organization right now. Agree. Um, Eric Comrie said he wants to be back. I want a lot of things. No, well, yeah, it's fair. I should <laughs> I should have prefaced that by saying he mentioned that even with Lukanen and Levi here that he wants to be back, which I think is interesting. But yeah, I think I am. Oh, it's it's so tough, Taylor, because I want to believe that Levi is going to be able to be in the NHL next year, and he's going to be able to buck the trend, and he's this unicorn. But uh, there's just so much going against that, I guess, just like historically speaking. Yeah. And, But I will say, though, like he looked good, and I think that this is going to be an important offseason. I don't think that it's going to be something that's just going to be given to him next year for him being on the team to begin with. But... They, again, like, I am beyond perplexed at people who think that he should be the 1A next year. It's just, well, it's optimism, and I get that, and he's played great down the stretch, but it's just, it's so... Risky. It's so risky. That's the thing, like, our plan is, like, the opposite of risk. Yeah. I mean, I know you have to pay someone in this scenario. You're not just getting some, like, you know, scrub backup, Mm -hmm. like, Brian Elliott or whoever. Mm -hmm. Like... You're gonna have to like actually like give out a like a legitimate con- multi year contract, but like okay, then you have a slightly overpaid backup goalie in the best case scenario, right? Like that's that you're not gonna commit too long term. Yeah, like, and plus a... the other thing is, I think people might not. The people don't mention this as much, but only a handful of goalies play like sixty games this year. No one plays seventy anymore. Right. Like guys don't they play like fifty something games. Olmark is probably gonna win the Vesna this year. Shosturkin won it last year. They both played like fifty two games. Yeah. Like, backups play a lot these days. They do, with the amount of back-to-backs and everything, especially. I mean, the the other side of that, too, is looking at if Levi is on the roster, how many games do you want him to, eventually, to, to play next season? And, I mean, 35 to 40? Like, that's, I feel like, a pretty even split. But, again, like, I just don't feel comfortable giving him the keys when you can go with a much safer route when playoffs are the expectation next year. And I just don't want to run into a scenario where we're rushing him and he's not looking good at the start of next year and we're like, well, shit, do we have to send this guy to Rochester so that he can get some games in? Or is he going to be able to keep his head above water up here? So I just I look to the, the Carolina goalies like we talked about. I know Varlamov has been an option that's put out there. I, I like the Carolina guys a bit better than I like Varlamov. And again, we'll see what happens once we get a little bit closer to the draft and everything because we'll have a better sense of what guys are going to be available and who will be out there. But like, I I want to believe that Levi can just make the jump and just stick and do it. I will never subscribe to him thinking that it's the right move for him to be the 1A. But if they can get the right 
guy to be that 1A, then I'm much more comfortable with Levi being on the team next year. Yeah, I agree. So I should clarify, I was wrong when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You're never wrong. What are you talking about? Only when I'm talking about gambling. Okay, wrong. fair. <laughs> Uh, that he actually, uh, UPL cannot be sent down without going on waivers. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Oh, thought, yeah. I thought they could just send him down. Did you say that? I did, yeah. I said really? that they could, I said that they should send Comrie and UPL down to be both Rochester goalies next year. Mm. Uh, but, uh, no, no, it turns out. Comrie's a very real possibility. Yo, Comrie, yeah, he could, he'll pass waivers. Mm-hmm. I think basically no doubt. Especially given the timing. It'll be early October. Most teams won't be able to pick him up. I think UPL... And that same situation also might, but I don't. Maybe. Here's the thing, though: like it's not doing it in the off season. Doing it in October, it makes for such weird timing. Yeah, I know, but it's still a, a oh, someone young... like Anaheim would do it. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. It's still Fine. a young, potentially. I'm using major air quotes. Promising goalie. Yes. I also like. I don't know. His AHL numbers have not been that good, and the NHL numbers aren't good. No, so. I agree. All right, let's let's wrap this up with talking about the coaching staff here i Fire think adam mayor wow no i'm just kidding it's a hot take no he's good I yeah think. I don't well know. do you think any changes need to happen i mean there's obviously the, the penalty kill was bad the penalty kill was very bad the offense or the uh the power play like we talked about at times it was looking very bad they were able to adapt which i will give them credit for and also give them credit for the fact that i believe they still finished in the top 10 with yeah. the power play but there were a lot of stretches where things did not look too good there. And there's also still questionable deployment decisions on that as well. So I think overall Granado gets high marks for me this year for how well he did. But I do think that there should be a conversation at least about the rest of the staff. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's just not even shaking things up in terms of firing people, but just being like, we have to do things differently. Yeah. Like no doubt about it. Especially bring Opozo. Yeah. Maybe Opozo would be a good, uh, person to jump in there i don't know i just i think yeah the special teams is a concern definitely and even when they were doing really well power play wise i never loved their structure right they don't inspire a lot of confidence in fact i would say like 90 percent of the reason their power play is so good is because tage Tage, yeah (laughs) yeah they have they have an ovechkin uh level guy not level but you know what i mean no a guy who could just go to a spot slap it absolutely score yeah i think that's that's a good example one more person i actually wanted to bring up is anderson yeah, we should actually. Craig Anderson, man, fucking shout out. Like, yeah, good guy. Good for him, like. dude. He, uh, I, I was so glad that they were able to pull that win out for him at home in the home finale. And I don't think you can overstate what he's meant to that locker room. You know, I think a lot of us, understandably to a degree, kind of ragged on bringing him back. I mean, it made sense, but it was like, God, this guy is so old. And how much are you really going to get out of him? But having him around clearly is very impactful to the room and to the young guys. And I think it's just having that kind of a, a steady veteran presence in the same way that Opozo is for them really did wonders for them all, especially Levi getting able to be around him for a good month, UPL getting to be around him for, you know, the entirety of this year, pretty much. And again, like ending his career with a team, I mean, it would have been great if we could have made it to the playoffs, but ending his career when last year just, you know, obviously things didn't go totally according to plan. Like they didn't, in terms of points and standings wise, did not have the best year. But Anderson, I just feel like is a stand-up guy and he absolutely deserves uh, some credit for, again, what he's meant to the room. So do you have any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, it didn't really even occur to me that he didn't really become a starting goalie until he was like 27. Mm-hmm. And so he, the fact that he still won 319 games is, is pretty wild. Like that's it's it's a lot. It's of remarkable. Yeah, it's 
it's one of the highest totals for an American goalie, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, top ten probably. I'd have to imagine. Yeah, I think it might even be five. Yeah, so that's that, that's awesome. He it's really interesting because I, I mentioned earlier that goalies don't play seventy games anymore. You know, he actually did play seventy games in a season. Come on, for Colorado, did he really? Yeah, and then they traded him. I don't I don't understand that, but yeah, it's the all time leading uh, all time leader in wins for Ottawa. Not that I like that, but good for him. <laughs> um, yeah, he's and he seemed like a stand-up guy. People really liked him. And, yeah, the goalie rotation did not go according to plan this year. But Anderson is fifth. Wow. Yeah. Who we have ahead of him? Miller, uh, Barrasso? Barrasso, Van Beesbrook, and Quick. Jonathan Quick is going to be interesting, man. Miller's at 391, and Quick is at 375. Uh Man, but he's not good. He's not good. And who's he? He's not going to start next year. No. He might not even play next year, for all we know. Yeah, I don't. I That's pretty wild. Is he second? Yeah, he's second. Van Beesbrook. That's a lot of wins for Van mm-hmm. Beesbrook. Good work. Who the hell is Frank Brimzik? You don't know Frankie? Seven. Born in 1915? Frank? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jimmy Howard being eighth on that list. That's incredible. I played for good teams. Yeah, that's true. Hallibuck is going to get up there, though. I mean, he's at... Hallibuck is uh, 29 and is at 238 right now. So he's got some... He's probably got another good 300-ish games in him. Probably, yeah. 300, so 400. He'll, he'll probably be the all-time leader when he's done. I would have to think. And then Levi. And then... Well, Levi is Canadian. That's... Oh, my God. I... <laughs> so stupid. You know what? I'm going to double down. Levi's going to be the all-time leader in Canadian. Wow. You sure you want to go down that road? Yeah, no one's going to remember I said this shit. Okay, that's fair. Which is what, 691? Uh, Let's find out 692 Levi. I'm I'm throwing down the gauntlet right now. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, Devin Levi, no worries, man. If you want to become the winningest uh, Canadian goalie ever... All you got to do is get 692 wins. That's what, that's his magic number, because Brodeur has 691. Well, he's already got like four of them, right? Perfect. He's already almost there. God damn, Brodeur played 1,266 games. That's that too many games. insane. Too many games. That's over 200 more than Roberto Luongo. Is he and second? Patrick Waugh. In terms of most games played for Canadian goalies, it's Brodeur is first, then Luongo... Then Wah, Flurry, and Terry Sawchuk. Followed by Ed Belfour. Wow. Win wise, though, it's Brodeur, Wah, Marc Andre Fleury, Luongo, and then Belfour. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah, I played a lot. Wow. I can't wait for Levi to be better than all of them. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor? Uh, go next. <laughs> <laughs> can't even say with a straight face. <laughs> Well, everybody, uh, a couple of things. For one, we're going to continue with our in-memoriam looking back on the season and looking ahead of the off-season over our next few episodes. Thursday episode is going to be a little bit more zeroed in on each of the players on the roster from this year and who we want to have back next year, what role we want them to be in, and who we don't want to be on the team next year. So make sure you tune in for that episode. And then again, as we're getting into the playoffs, we'll be, of course, doing some playoff coverage. We should probably we should do a bracket. You and I, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And here's um, a preview who I don't want on the team next year. Give it to me. Paul Pot. Oh? I think he'd be a bad locker room guy. I would agree. Uh, are we doing a full list of who we don't want on the team? Or just guys that are on the team now? Uh, I mean, if... Well, we could get creative with guys who we don't want on the team. How All about right. we do... We'll, we'll go through and do guys who are on the team who we don't want on, and then we can each do our five guys who we don't want to be on the team. Okay, cool. Okay, I can get into that. 
Also, for what it's worth, everybody, Taylor and I are about to go see the Sandman right now. We are <laughs> very exciting. I want nothing more just than to see Opera Man happen. I just want oh, him to do just God, like a yeah. little, a little bit. No, we're, yeah, we're getting ready to go see Adam Sandler right now. So we're gonna be gonna be a great time. What's your favorite Sandler SNL sketch? Oh wow, that's that's a that's a big question. Man, I got I got to think about that honestly. Mm. I don't know if I know. We'll report back on Thursday then with that. Yeah. There's a lot of classics there. Absolutely. All right. Well, any last thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off, Taylor? Nope, that's it. Great. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Remember to check out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. After you go and leave us a nice little follow, subscribe, and rating, make sure you're also checking out all of our fellow shows across both networks, and make sure you're following both of our networks on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. Last but not least, make sure you are heading over to DraftKings and using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals and finally of course thin man brewery we love thin man folks and we know you will too so make sure you get over there whether it's for happy hour whether it's for dinner whether it's for a date to catch a playoff game whatever it may be thin man is the spot to be like i said we'll be back with a brand new episode on thursday thank you all so much for tuning in this has been straight up savers